0: Amen. Well, thanks for that singing and that worship. That's been a real joy to my own heart. It's so great to be with you again tonight. We've been trying to glorify God in this process of relationship in reflecting who God is. The the focus really hasn't been about marriage per se. It's been about women and wives who would glorify God in their relationship, the way it would reflect the Trinity and men and husbands and how they would reflect and glorify God in their relationships, and then how you would glorify God by dealing with one another interpersonally, and how you might glorify God as the members of the Trinity would serve the other members of the Trinity, that you would serve one another as a reflection of who He is, as well as tomorrow we'll talk about the humility that comes as a result of that. But uh, tonight, I, I don't know if you have actually noticed, I'm sure that all of you have been to a sporting event and you've noticed that at every sporting event, there are three kinds of people, right? There really are. There are those who make things happen on the field, right? The players who are doing this, this whole thing. There are people who watch things happen from the stands. They're observing that and uh, getting to know what's happening that way. And then always at every giant sporting event, there are people who don't know what's happening, correct? I mean, there's a touchdown and they go, whoa, was there a home run? Or what? Yeah, they have no idea. What happened? It's a social event. They're there for friends. They got free tickets, something. They're there to drink a lot or something like that. There's just always three different kinds of people. Well, it's kind of the same thing in the church. There are people who are making things happen. Uh, There are things who, and people who watch things happen, and then there are are actually people who don't know what's happening. Their understanding and perception of what the church is all about is, is very, very far from what the New Testament describes. In fact, uh, it is the same in the church to some degree. They call it the 80-20 rule. I don't know if you've heard of that but 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Have you heard that before? Uh, 20% of the people do 80% of the giving, and 20% of the people do 80% of the serving, and there are those who are playing on the field, and those who are watching others play on the field, and there's a lot of people who have no idea what's going on. So which one are you? Are you a normal Christian, or are you an average Christian? An average Christian looks at others, other believers, or people they perceive to be Christians, and they go, hey, I'm okay. I'm just like them. I'm pretty average. A normal Christian is someone who looks at the Word of God, the Scripture, and they say, I'm pursuing God's commands by the power of the Spirit, and I find myself, I've got some growing to do. So, I'm hoping tonight that the vast majority of you here are normal Christians. You're not taking the average feel from one another. You're actually saying, I want to be a normal Christian and I want to follow the Word of God. Can Aaron amen to that? That's what you want. Okay, all five of you want to follow the Word of God. And the Scripture teaches that all true children of God are to be full time Christians. Full time Christians. It's not true that pastors are paid to be good and then everyone else is good for nothing. That's not true. Pastors are supported so they can study and pray and train and shepherd and teach in order to shepherd the flock of God and equip the flock of God in order to do the work of ministry. And they're not paid to be better Christians. They're not paid to be full-time Christians. Every Christian is a full-time Christian, right? Okay, in every situation, in every circumstance, every believer is ready to represent Christ. When you came to Christ and He worked in your heart, you exchanged all that you are for all that He is, right? right? When you came to Christ, you said, I'm denying myself, and I'm going to follow Jesus Christ and carry my cross, meaning I'm going to die to myself. I'm basically dead to self. Like Christ died for me, now I died for Him. You exchanged all that you are for all that He is. And in the Kingdom, and God's principles, and in the Bible itself, There is no unemployment in the kingdom of God. Uh, Every one of you has got a job to do. God saved you to do a work. You are to be about His process. The problem is the work of the Lord is hard work, and you can go unappreciated and unnoticed in that work. And as a result, countless ministries go unfulfilled, and even though there are many workers that are needed. Why is that? Why is there a worker shortage in the church of Jesus Christ? Because we've forgotten that every Christian is called to full-time ministry. That only some people are supported to be in this process, but everyone is to be given themselves to the full-time ministry. You gave your life to Christ, now you serve Him. When you're at home, you know, raising those rugrats, and when you go to work, when you drive, you are serving Jesus Christ. Amen? You are. You're supposed to be doing that. Everything is to the glory of God. In fact, it says, uh, you know, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That means you don't even lift lift a glass of water to your lips unless it's going to make God look good. Right? Oh, please nod your head just a little bit. I know the dinner was good, but just stay with me, okay? Don't let that blood sugar go right to your stomach. Understand, the ministry of this church is by, with, and through its many parts. And I bet you've forgotten just how crucial each one of you are, really are, to the health of the entire church family. Again, within the context of the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there's a great sense of service and focus towards the other. And in the same way, the church of Jesus Christ is to reflect that, and we're going to find that true by opening our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, if you're not there, looking at two verses tonight, verses 10 and 11, as we go through this. I want to kind of pull back again tonight and take a look at what we're all about as a church now in relationship, in service towards one another. And if I can, I want to remind you of some commands that apply to every single Christian in this room. If you're 13 years old, or if you're 80 years old, or somewhere in between, this is for you if you are a genuine born-again Christian, a slave of Christ, and He's your Lord. This is what He tells you that you're to be about. This passage is not for super-Christians. It is for every believer. The common guy, the common gal, the ordinary couple. So compare your life against the normal biblical Christian as I read from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It says this, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. As good stewards... Of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be what? Glorified, Glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. That's what he says. It's incredible celebration. Now, let me set the stage here. Peter is writing people again, you already know, who have been scattered. They're basically being persecuted, and it's growing in intensity. And as a warm and caring pastor, an apostle, he's given them great encouragement in a world that really doesn't understand and like Christians. So it's getting tough. So he shares with them about their salvation, that they should be focusing on that God has saved them that they didn't deserve it, that God caused them to be born again, and that he's transformed them and given them a new life now and eternal life forever. And then he exhorts them with the importance of submission, that even under a persecuted environment where things are unfair and unjust, even slaves and masters, that you are to be submissive. And then finally, the whole book then turns its focus toward this how to deal with suffering, how to deal with persecution when it's unfair and these things are going on. And in the midst of his instruction about persecution he is moved by the Spirit of God to give some practical commands on how to survive until Jesus comes again. Now, this is shocking to me. Are you ready? I think it should be shocking to you. Because when we get persecuted, when things get heavy and intense, we pull back. Do we not? I mean, when you get hit and you're suffering, we sometimes move away from people... And at the very least, we stop serving, we stop doing, in a sense, what God has called us to do, and we retreat. And Peter says the exact opposite. He says the hotter it gets, the more intense it is, the more you need to serve one another. How about that? Because that's a reflection of who God is. So he does this starting in verse 7 take a look at verse 7 there. Let me kind of read a few verses and then I'll summarize them for you. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Verse 7. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And then he says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. What he's saying is if you're going to survive in a hostile world, you've got to remember your time is short. What he's telling you here is that, therefore, think clearly, keep cool, don't panic, have an eternal perspective, think more about heaven, give yourself to prayer, work at your love for one another, and show Christ's love to the lost. And finally, the survival exhortations that he's giving here in this context end with verses 10 and 11. He says, if you're going to survive in a hostile planet, and you're going to flourish as a Christian, you need to be, every single one of you, fully involved in ministry. Fully involved in ministry. If you're going to do what the end of verse 11 says and glorify God and all to his glory and to whom belongs all the glory, you're going to be involved in full time ministry in some manner. Again, full time ministry, your whole life is ministry, but also it finds expression within the context of the local church. So Peter wanted his readers and us to grab this so much, he spent one verse demonstrating the importance of this ministry of yours, your ministry. And then another showing its ingredients. Listen, let me make it real simple. You are not a healthy Christian unless you are involved in continual ongoing ministry. One more time. You are not a healthy Christian unless you're involved in service within the context of a local church. Is that clear enough? That's this passage, that's this context. On the basis of the authority of the Word of God, I am making that statement to you. So let's take a look at that, and look at point number one in your outline, if you're taking notes and following along, the importance of you serving in ministry. Number one, the importance, and since every Word of God's Word is inspired, let's see what he says word by word here. First in your outline, the first thing he tells you in verse 10 is that the ministry of each individual member of the church is crucial crucial you're filling blanks it's crucial look what he says that he starts verse 10 as each one has received a special gift did you catch that as each one say that with me ready as that's you that's you each one god's point here is each one of you is crucial for the survival of the whole church no one is left out in god's word there is no gap between (laughs) between clergy and laity Uh, you want to be a biblical church, then basically the pastors equip you, saints, for the work of what? Ministry. Ministry. They're equipping you. You do the work of ministry. That's how it's designed. It's essential that everyone function. Again, I didn't write this, and God says right there, verse 10, as each one of you has received a special gift. Now, As members of the body of Christ, we can be compared to a jigsaw puzzle. How many of you in this room love jigsaw puzzles? Can I see your hands? Okay, now please forgive me when I say this, but uh, there's something wrong with you. Um, Okay, because I I honestly, I just have a really hard time with jigsaw puzzles. And I'm always compelled when I see one, you always got to, are you with me on this? You got to get one piece. If I get one piece of a jigsaw puzzle, it's like, I'm done. I'm good. I'm out of here. It's kind of an OCD thing, but I, I really I, somehow I don't know why people enjoy that, but it is a, a great illustration, so I, I brought a couple of, of piece, uh, jigsaw pieces for you, a nice big one, so you could see this, an illustration, because this is you, and, and this is you, okay? This is how you look. Every one of you has protrusions and indentations. The protrusions are your strengths. And the indentations are your weaknesses. Would everyone in this room admit that you have strengths and weaknesses? Yes? Yes. Sure, you've got sinful bents that you battle with and you'll battle for the rest of your life. But also, God has given you some strengths. And some of those strengths are manifested in the giftedness that God gave you the moment you were born again. And what He wants you to do as you function within the context of the body of Christ, you, you actually fit together. Your strengths you know, compensate for other people's weaknesses in a way that all of a sudden gives a clearer picture. And when all the pieces of the body of Christ begin to fit together the way a jigsaw puzzle, guess what picture they see? Who do they see when we all function together? Answer? Jesus Christ. That is correct. When the body of Christ functions the way they're supposed to, you get a clearer picture of who Jesus Christ is. Amazingly. In our individualistic society, where we stand alone, we drive into our garage doors, the garage door goes up, we go in, it goes down, we don't associate with anybody, individualistic America, sadly, our culture does not build a corporate mentality. We don't think corporately as we interrelate with people, but God does. And God sees you not only as an individual Christian, but as one who belongs to a body, And as you function within the context of that body and serving the way God designed, you begin to put Jesus Christ on display. Are you ready? You can put Christ on display better corporately than you can individually. Can I hear an amen to that? You can. You can. And yet, because of this individualistic spectator mentality where people are sitting on the fringes and really not engaged within the context of the body, we're not giving the world the picture they should, and God is not getting the glory that He deserves. Therefore, we need to be zealous about this process of ministering, all each one of us, serving him in a way. And interesting enough, when you look at the other sections of Scripture, and by the way, there are three major ones: Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter 4. This is Peter 4 is the last section passage written in the new testament concerning the exercise of spiritual gifts but you get a real good picture early on of what it was like in first corinthians 12 and a little bit later on in romans chapter 12 and as every passage unfolds you will find that the purpose of spiritual gifts is not for you it's for others it all oh, it states so clearly it is for the common good it is to be exercised for the common good it's exercised exercise for others It's an expression of love, and it's a way in which we emulate, one more time, the Trinity. The persons of the Trinity serving the other persons of the Trinity. This is what we're reflecting as we all begin to serve one another, as we forget about ourselves and serve others. As you do that, there's massive joy and massive blessing. So, It is absolutely crucial. Second in your outline, ministry is a privilege. Not only is it crucial that you exercise ministry, but ministry is a privilege. Look at verse 10 again. As each one has received a what? A gift. What is it again? As each one has received a gift. Gift. The word gift there is that which is given out of grace. That's what it means, literally. That which is given out of grace. And a gift is is something that comes from God that could never have been achieved, attained, or possessed by your own effort. A gift is a God-given ability for service within the body of Christ. You missed that. Write that down. That's a definition of spiritual gifts. A God-given ability for service within the body of Christ. It's a blessing from God. It's a gift, sovereignly given. It is a grace that is lavished on us, determined by God, not men. It is it's not by your choice. You don't choose your giftedness. God chooses it for you. Amazingly, you see through the context of the New Testament that God has actually, for everyone in this room who's born again, prepared good works beforehand that you should walk in them. That's Ephesians 2.10. You ever read that passage? That God actually, before the foundation of the world, prepared good works that you should walk in them. Do you know what they are? You should know what they are. And you learn what they are as you serve others within the context of the body of Christ. I have people sometimes come up to me and they go, you know, this can't be my spiritual gift because I love it too much. And I'm like, what? I said, that's exactly what it's supposed to be. You get tired, you get weary, you get worn out, but your heart explodes with joy. When I was a young man, my wife uh, has service and helps as a part of her giftedness, and she would often go to young mothers who had little children who were having rough pregnancies, and she would care for those pregnant women and take care of those little kids and do all the laundry and clean all their house and do all that stuff. And she did it every week faithfully until they could have that baby and then you know, get back to normal motherhood. She loved that. She loved it. Well, early on in our marriage, I'm thinking, man, she's coming home really tired. i got to stop her. And I, you know, Trying to be the godly husband. You know, oh, honey, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, no, but I like doing it. You, you shouldn't be doing it. It's too much. It's just wearing you out. I was an idiot okay you can quote me do you understand that when she went and did that she was actually so full of joy and so happy and so blessed sure she was worn out that's what service does to you but her heart was absolutely full massive because she was doing exactly what God wanted her to do do you understand that and every one of you has that kind of giftedness. Every true believer in the church has received a unique, special, undeserving giftedness which is to be used to help others to be more like Christ. You have a unique ability to show off Jesus Christ that no one else in this room can. And, order, and when you do so, it brings you the greatest amount of joy. There's about three things that I do and on the context of our church now that I'm 57 years old. And honestly, everything else I'm horrific at. You can quote me on that as well. You're looking at me, what do you mean? I'm not really a good counselor. I'm really not. You don't want me to counsel you. Okay, I, I can do it, but it's really not my first joy. I, and you're looking at me like weird. You're a pastor, you should be doing this. Understand, when I counsel people, they tell me their problem, and I go, look, this, this is what the Bible says. So you just do that in the power of the Spirit. Thanks, let's pray. Okay, That we're done. Uh, that's my form of counseling. When I go to the hospital to care for people, uh, you know, I sometimes I leave the hospital and those people would want to die after I'm done. <laughs> my, my brother's a believer and he's a doctor and he got a bucket full of m- m- mercy. God just lavished him with mercy. He's a wonderful doctor. And when God gave you know, out the spiritual gifts, he gave me a spoonful and spilt half of it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just... Not that guy. Now, as I've gotten older, I've, I've gotten softer and more compassionate, and, and I'm grateful for that as God works His grace in my life, and I've become more merciful, but I'm not gifted in mercy. Like when I watch people who are gifted that way at a hospital bed, it's like you, you're watching Jesus Christ manifest care and compassion for people that I, I just sit there in awe of. And some of you are that way. Do you understand? We're not everything, we're just a few things. Are you getting that? And God has gifted you and He gave you at the moment you were born again a special ability to show Him off. And it's to be exercised within the context of the local church. Several Valentine days ago, actually it's more like 25 or almost 30 now, I gave Gene a bottle of love. Love. I, I bought some parchment paper, this sounds like something a girl would do, five pens, a, a stamp with little hearts on it, and a fancy bottle, and I cut the paper into strips, and I wrote out categories that would represent gifts. The, the categories were on the outside, and then the, the gift was on the inside, so I made ten recreation slips, like, you know, I'll take you bowling when you unfold it, that kind of thing. Uh, ten dinner slips, that you know, really expensive, nice restaurants like McDonald's, um, you know, <laughs> Ten snacks, uh, like you know, like an ice cream cone or honeycomb candy, or ten, ten, I called them five time zones that was to watch the kids. Uh, five trips like they 'd open up and say, "Hey, go to a museum." And then there were ten love slips, which are none of your business, and um, uh, back rubs, you know that kind of stuff, and then I rolled them up, put them in the jar, and then every. Every week, she would have the ability to pull one of those out all year long and just a reminder of how much I love and care for her. Imagine what would have happened if she just let it sit and then put it away and finally threw it out in the trash without ever using it once. Can you imagine how disappointing that would be? Can you imagine the hurt if she didn't even bother to use it at all? What are you doing with the gift that God has given you? He's given you a gift to use, to serve, to show Him off, to bring you incredible joy. How are you responding to God's gracious blessing to you for the survival of the whole body? God's love for you is far greater than a husband to a wife. How grateful are you to for His gifts? That's the importance of ministry. And you've found that it's not only crucial and a privilege, but also third in your outline, it is a responsibility. A responsibility. He says in verse 10, look back again, we're picking out every phrase here, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good What? Stewards. A stewardship is a responsibility. All of us are familiar with the fact that a steward was a slave who was responsible for managing a man's property or household or for distributing the wages and food to its members. And you have the responsibility, Christian, of distributing your giftedness, resources, your talents in service to the church that God places you, and you are a steward of your giftedness. So not only has he gifted you, but he's called you a steward, which means you're responsible to be using it. Now, if you want to, turn over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, verse 16, and I want you to see how God actually views stewardship. And though there's a lot of truth contained in this parable, I want to focus on only certain key truths as they relate to our responsibility in stewardship. It's the parable of the ten minas, and a nobleman goes to a distant country, and before he goes, he gives ten slaves one mina each. A mina is about three months' wage, so it's a lot of money. And he tells them to do business with it until he comes back. When he does return, he calls three of the slaves who represent the rest of them to come and report what business they had done, what they did with this mina, this three months worth of wages, how had they used their stewardship. So take a look at verses 16 and 17 of Luke chapter 19, and let's draw three out truths out of this, uh, just simple ones again, but very obvious. 16, he says, and the first slave appeared saying, master, your mina has made 10 more. Wow. And he said to him, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority over ten cities. Now, let me tell you, just a couple things that, that I want to draw out of this. First, principle number one out of stewardship is it starts with little things. Little things. All God expects you to use is use what you have. If you're a teacher, then teach. If you're a giver, then give. You may be the best encourager, then do that. Share, talk, give, write. You, you may have a great with your hands, then serve. Some of you would absolutely just want to die to have to be up here and do what I'm doing right now. But man, fix something for someone behind the scenes and you're in heaven. Then serve. An incredible organizer, administrator, we need you. You're one of those people that line up your closet, you know, organized by color. You know, and all the clothes lined up. You know what I'm talking about? Those people, all the shoes, you know, go from bright red all the way to dark blue, you know, and it's all kind of in between and all the clothes are lined up. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody like that? Now, these people are really sick, but understand that they're uniquely gifted in a way that's profound and they can do organizing in an amazing way. Some of us don't want to do little things. You know, we would never say it because we'd be embarrassed. We only want to do big things, public things, spotlight things. But stewardship starts with little things, being faithful in little. So if you've been given one coin or ten coins, use it in the body of Christ. Secondly, a second principle of stewardship out of this context is that stewardship is a reward for doing little things well. The reward for doing little things well, are you ready? When you do your stewardship well, you get more work. You get a bigger job. Are you, I, did you pick that up from the text here? Look what Jesus says in verse 17. Boy, you're faithful in little things. I'm going to give you responsibility ten cities. I was just dealing with ten, you know, a mina here. I turned it into ten, and now I have authority over ten cities? Wow. Jesus says, well done, so now here's a really big job. Once you do well, you don't stop being a steward. You, you don't get a prize. You earn the right to have a bigger job and more responsibility and more influence for, the God, for God's kingdom and for his glory. To represent Him. To bring Him glory. To no greater joy. In other words, there's no retirement in Christianity. You really, you don't reach for the bench. You just run through the finish line called death. And you go to heaven. But you run through it. There's no reaching for the bench. There's no maturity or age level that's reached that you stop serving or start cruising or merely enjoy the fruits of previous labors. Jesus says if you do little things well, then you get more work and a bigger job. That's you. That's you. Now, those of you 60 and up, do you know the thrill of not retiring? Oh, maybe you're retired, but not from God's kingdom, not from God's purposes. I used to tell people all the time, I couldn't wait to grow older, and now I'm getting there. And some of you are saying, yeah, we wish you'd grow up, Chris. But you know why? I, I've been surrounded by mature, older, godly men who fire me up in their commitment. Now, we have people that we know that live in other places around the country who have been hugely influential, and uh, they're 85 and on fire for Christ, giving all their time to collegians. I have a mentor who just keeps dreaming up new things. He's getting into his 70s now, and he's rocking. Stewardship, principle number three, is found in verse 20. Take a look at it. Luke 19, verse 20. And another slave came, saying, Master, behold your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. And Jesus goes on to tell the slave he's a worthless slave, takes his mina away from him, gives it to the slave who earned ten of them. Principle number three of stewardship, there's a great danger of a life wrapped up in a handkerchief. Those who are poor stewards of what God has given them, and others where they're not exercising their stewardship or their giftedness, those who do nothing with their gifts or talents or resources or abilities, are in danger. You say, what do you mean The danger. Well, a similar parable in Matthew would lead us to believe that those who don't use their gifts and service and never produce any fruit need to question whether they really know Christ. Now, I don't want to be too harsh here or, or legalistic or beyond the context of Scripture, but understand that being a steward of your ministry is a command, and willful disobedience over time to any command in Scripture raises the question of whether you truly know Christ. As you go back to 1 Peter, please turn back there. Notice that Peter calls us to be good stewards. He means for us to be the kind of steward that's admired for his service, to be one who's praised and affirmed for his faithful work. Is that you? Again, we're emulating the Trinity in relationship here. We're trying to glorify God, not just by emulating his character, but the way that he treats in a sense, the context of the Trinity. And to reflect that, we need to be involved in service. And so much so, finally, ministry in the church is important because each member is unique. Each member is unique, fourthly in your outline. Look again at the end of verse 10. We serve one another as good stewards of the what kind of grace of God? Manifold. 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 I love that. It's not the car manifold. Manifold means many-colored, like Joseph's many-colored coat. Uh, it was used to describe the skin of a leopard and the changing seasons of the year and the variations of a strain of music. And God's telling us that they're all different kinds of people, gifts and expressions of the grace of God. Isn't that true? Come on, be excited about that. Are you, are, everybody's different in this room. Amen. Amen. That's right. Would you look at your neighbor right now, not your spouse. Just look at somebody at your table right now. Give them a good, nice, big stare. Come on, right now, I'm waiting for you to do it. Come on, look at him. I'm going to wait until you look at him. Now... You're going, they're different, aren't they? And some of you are going, yeah, they're way different. Hey, that's the grace of God. In fact, we're so unique, only you can accomplish the work that God has given you to do. This week, if each one of the spiritual gifts that are listed in Romans 12 were represented in this gathering right here, and someone just dropped their dessert on the floor. Okay, picture that. The gifts of Romans 12 are represented in this room. Someone has just dropped dessert on the floor. What is the reaction of each one? Let me give you an illustration, okay? Are you ready? The preacher person would say, that's what happened when you're not careful. He's motivated to correct your life. Okay, the dessert hits the floor. You weren't careful. You know, point that out. The mercy person... What are they going to do? Oh, don't feel bad. It could have happened to anyone. I, I just dropped some cake the other day. You know, they're, they're, they're motivated to relieve your embarrassment. I just did that. The server is going to say, oh, let me help you clean it up. They're motivated to fulfill a need. The teacher is going to go, you know, the reason it dropped, it was kind of leaning on one side of the plate. You know, they're, they're <laughs> wanting to discover what happened. The exhorter's is going to say, you know, next time, why don't we serve dessert outside you know (laughs) after the meal you know they're motivated to correct for the future and the administrator leader type is going to Jim would you get a mop sue would you pick it up Mary would you get some more dessert you know they're going to think see how different they are and some of you're laughing because you're going that's me that's me you know you kind of get it but not only is Peter telling us that everyone's different but he's telling us everyone's going to work differently through each person in different ways So let me give you an illustration. Turn to Acts chapter 11, if you would, and let's look at the life of Barnabas very briefly here, Acts chapter 11, (coughs) as we see this kind of lived out in the context of this point that everyone is unique. In Acts 11, at this point in church history, except for Cornelius and company, Christianity is still kind of an only Jewish religion. But in Antioch, some believers had been scattered with the persecution, and they started sharing with the Greeks, non-Christians, you know, and non-Jews for the first time, and a number of Gentiles are getting saved, and as a result, the, the Jews are kind of getting nervous. So they send Barnabas to check it out. Now, this is Barnabas, the son of encouragement, the one with the big heart. They could have sent a narrow, legalistic traditionalist. Let me ask you, would they have sent you? (laughs) And there's nothing worse in the ministry of the members than a traditionalist, narrow, rule-loving, legalistic, weaker brother who's critical and flexible and tolerant of Christianity that's not done their way. And if you're taking that personally, then good. It says in verse 23, when he had come, verse 23, Acts 11, and witnessed the grace of God, he saw that these non-Jews had come to Christ. What did he do? He rejoiced. This is before the first church council when they wrestled with this thing. And he began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true in the Lord. He rejoiced. God's at work. The grace of God is bigger than the Jews. And he's excited about it. It's different than we thought. It's not what we used to. But he rejoiced anyway. He let God work not man's way, but God's way. And they let the Gentiles in, and I'm not talking about compromising the Word of God in any way, but God's grace is manifold, it's many colored. Amen to that? I'll never forget a lady, her name, she's in heaven now. Her name was Frances Forkentine. And honestly, she, she was a Mennonite. And she was the personnel director of Hume Lake Christian Camps. And she interviewed a young man named Chris Mueller, whose hair was so long it had a ponytail in the back. This lady is a Mennonite. Okay, wound tight. Does that, you know, do you understand that? She looked at me, and she interviewed me. She looked beyond my appearance and said, you know, I think think you'd make a great staff member at Hume Lake. And she hired me, looking beyond my appearance. And she looked at me, she goes, you're willing to cut your hair, aren't you? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'll cut it, no problem. But she hired me because she saw something there of God's manifestation as I was talking that she said, I think you'd be a great man. And that, that introduced me to a whole world of Christianity that I had never seen before and was a very, very life-altering direction. There's an usher at Grace Community Church where I was on staff for 10 years, and he's a friend of mine. And one day, a little junior high 7th grader came in, a dirty T-shirt Holes in his jeans, no shoes. And this usher, instead of saying, You can't come in here, he took that kid, put him right in the front row, said, This is a very special place for you. That kid's name's Jerry Maddie. He got saved that morning, and now has six children, all following Christ and still functioning at Grace Community Church. Because one usher looked beyond the appearance and said, this little boy needs to hear the gospel. Let's put him right in the front, in the splash zone, you know? In Acts 11, the Jews are wanting to say to the Gentiles that to be saved, they had to be like us, look like us, act like us, get circumcised, follow traditions, follow God's law. And we can and should be different and give room to those who are different. We need to accept one another, give room for one another. The upper class needs to accept the lower class. The white collar, the blue, accept the blue collar. Family, accept and esteem the single. The white, accept the yellow, brown, and black. The educated, accept the uneducated. The younger, accept the older. The Republican, accept... Well, let's not get radical here, so... But like, like tools and... God's tool chest, we're all different, but we're all important to complete God's work, God's way. So get in the game. Be involved. And not only is your ministry important, but point number one, that it's all important, but secondly, there's some ingredients. Secondly, in your outline, ingredients of your ministry. What are the ingredients of your ministry to the church? Well, look again at first peter four ten eleven and he says in the middle of verse ten that our gift is to be employed in serving one another and then in verse eleven, with our service, we are to rely on the strength which God supplies. The first ingredient of ministry is service. In fact, the word ministry is from the Greek term meaning to serve it means to wait on another like a waiter, to care for their needs to Place the needs and comfort of someone else above your own in active work and sacrifice. It's present tense here in the context here, which means it's ongoing service. If the church is to survive its hardest time, then it's this action God needs to go on continually. And in churches of 200, 400, uh, 10,000, everyone is desperate to have every person serve. Now, to really understand a servant ministry, though, you want to look at Acts chapter 6. So let's go ahead and look at Acts 6 for a second. And we'll go back again then to 1 Peter 4. But here the early church is growing and there were needs going unmet. The apostles couldn't meet the needs, so they chose certain men to meet those needs. And in Acts 6, in the middle of verse 5, it says that they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8 of Acts 6, it says that Stephen was full of grace and power. This man had an incredible grasp on the Word of God and the boldness to preach it with conviction. His wisdom was such that the enemies of the gospel could not confound him or refute him. And what was great ministry that the apostles had for him. What was it that they designed and intended for this extremely powerful Christian? Again, a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, power, able to handle the Word of God. What position in the spotlight in the early church did they intend this incredible man of faith? Ready? Ready? Serve tables. Serve tables. Stephen could have said, what, you, "What me? Serve tables? Apparently you're unaware of my wisdom and my faith and my preaching ability. I mean, get someone else to serve in the shadows. I, I, I'm better, better suited for the spotlight, but that wasn't his reaction. Praise God. He humbly took his place with the other six servers, these super deacons, these kind of the uh, model for the future of deaconhood. And they later, he later became the first church martyr. And what's the point? There's always room for another servant. The small area of the spotlight can get a bit crowded, but there's always room in the shadows for a person who's eager to serve. Uh, it's so easy to forget the example of Jesus said for us, right? Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and give his life a ransom for many. Not only do we forget the example of the Lord, but we forget his exhortation. I can tell you right now, in this room, the greatest Christian. Are you ready? It's the servant. Right? The greatest among you shall be your what? Servant. Matthew 23, 11 and 12. And whoever exalts himself shall be humble, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. True ministry is first the role of a servant, to wash feet. To give till it hurts. To love the lost until they start asking questions why. To set up chairs, stuff bulletins, help help the secretarial pool. As you turn back now, if you would, to First Peter, look at verse eleven again and notice the kind of service that Peter addresses is both public and private. It's done both with your mouth and your actions. You're uh, to serve each other publicly and privately, but most ministry is private. It's unseen and it's unnoticed. I mean, think about what had to happen. Today, to make this happen, there are people who set up the meal, there the sound people, the music people, the lighting people, the people who set up the tables, the, all the various details that made tonight happen. We don't think about that very often, do we? But there's all kinds of stuff that had to happen to make tonight happen. And you could go on and on and on. And in order to have undistracted worship or to under have a kind of an evening like this, it takes a lot more than a speaker and a band. There's a lot of things that go on. It takes a lot of servants who will never be in the spotlight to make things happen in the church in order to glorify God and equip the saints. But not only is your ministry primarily service, but also secondly in your outline, if you're still taking notes, it's empowered. Empowered. Your ministry is to be empowered. Look again at verse 11. Let me give you a literal rendering. He says through Peter, if one speaks as God's sayings, if one ministers out of the strength which God supplies... All of the members minister, whether through speech or through action, and true biblical ministry is empowered by God. Let me put it to you this way God's work done God's way will not lack God's strength. As I stood there this evening, um, every time I'm about to open God's word, I affirm to the Lord Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't have the ability. It's your word that's powerful. It's your spirit that must work. You must do this. Please work through this vessel and accomplish your purposes. These are your people. They're not my people. I didn't die for you. He died for you. You work in their lives. Do you understand? That's part of what God needs to do through you no matter what you do. And perhaps the most overlooked source of power in the church is the Holy Spirit. Zechariah's words are as true today as they were that when he penned them. He said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, Zechariah 4.6. And Ephesians 5.18 says you need to be filled with the Spirit. That's like a ship that sets its fail, uh, sails, and the Spirit of God in, you know, kind of fills the sail and moves you along. And the literal word for spiritual gifts, are you ready for this? In this context and in the New Testament, the literal word for spiritual gifts is spirituals or of the Spirit. You and I can really do nothing eternal except it be by the Spirit and through us for others to God's glory. You can't glorify God. One more time. You cannot glorify God. Only God can glorify God through you. Can I hear an amen to that? It's true. Uh, You can't live for Christ. Only Christ can live for Christ through you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You can't serve the church the Spirit of God does through, through you. So it's his work. We're just vessels. But he's gifted us a certain way to show him off. And the essential ingredient to the member's ministry will be dependence upon the Spirit of God. You know, before you minister, you might want to take note of what C.H. Spurgeon used to do every time he came to the pulpit. Every time he came to the pulpit. He had a circular staircase. Have you seen it? Maybe you've seen it in the Metropolitan Pulpit. Basically, every step he took, this is what he wrote. Every single step, he would say this, I believe in the Spirit. I believe in the Spirit. I believe in the Spirit because he knew that nothing would happen for God's glory unless it was empowered by the Spirit of God. That's spiritual giftedness. It's to be manifested in that manner. Yet another crucial ingredient of your ministry is also found at the end of verse 10. It says, serving one another. Your ministry, thirdly in your outline, is to be corporate. Corporate. Now, will you notice in verse 11 the meaning of the word supply. Do you see that there? Verse 11 Take a look at it. First Peter four says, "Let him speak. Let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God what supplies." And that word "supply" is actually a word that means a chorus. it originally meant to supply a chorus and every member of the church can spiritually be singing a different part and yet all singing the same song in perfect harmony and that's reflective in Ephesians 4.16 is that in your notes? Ephesians 4.16 do you see it there in your your notebook? take a look at it it says this Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies watch this now according to the proper working of what? each individual part circle that because that's you the proper working of each individual part, you, causes the growth of the body for the building above itself in love. In other words, God is honored and glorified in our midst as a result of that. And that means just because you attend a church does not mean that you're actually glorifying God or that you're a part of the team. Just because this is your church home does not mean that you're functioning as a part of the church. One night, a man broke his left arm, couldn't sleep. And as he lay in bed, he imagined a dialogue between his right Arm and his left arm. His right hand said, "Left hand, you're not missed. Everybody's glad it was you that was broken and not me. You're not very important." The left hand said, "How are you superior?" The right hand said, "Well, my owner can't write a letter without me." And the left hand said, "Yeah, but who holds the paper in which he writes?" The right hand said, "Well, who swings the hammer?" The left hand said, "Who holds the nail?" The right hand said, "Who guided the, you know, the plane when the carpenter smooths the board?" And retorted, to "The left hand, who steadies the board." And then the left hand continued. Let me ask you a question. When our owner shaved yesterday, he used you, but your his face is cut because I wasn't there to help you. You can't take money out of the wallet because I'm not there to hold it. The master can do very few things without me. We both are needed, righty? You weren't created to serve alone. But together in a chorus, in a harmony, all of us doing our part, it doesn't matter if you're part of the melody, the harmony, the instrumental, the chorale, you're critical to the whole production that God is trying to accomplish. And a crucial ingredient of your ministry is to see yourself as a part of a whole team, not an individual. Uh, Wrestling is a wonderful sport, my boys did it, but it's not really the imagery that we have. We have more of a football team when it comes to the body of Christ. It's a bunch of people working together to accomplish a single goal of glorifying God, scoring touchdowns for His glory. And finally, the most importantly, your ministry is, fourthly in your outline, a purposeful focus. Purposeful focus. Your ministry is a purposeful focus. Why are we corporately serving one another? First Peter says, verse 11, that in all things... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our purpose is to be like Christ and glorify God. And you see, ministry is a heart issue, not a bunch of external do's and don'ts. It's a desire from the heart, an expression of gratefulness for what you have been given. I mean, Jesus Christ died for you. He took the punishment of God's wrath for you on the cross. He serves you. He called you to Himself. How could we not serve Him? It's remembering what He did for you. Remembering what you were before he saved you, a rebellious sinner on your way to eternal torment in hell that was completely justified, and he rescued you, how could you not follow his example? How could you not want to be like him and be a servant? When you really believe that He is God and submitted to the Father, became a man and veiled His glory and majesty and lived unselfishly to serve us, only then will you work at submitting to others, prefer others before yourself, and give yourself to sacrificial action and ministry to others. You see, the model for ministry, of Jesus Christ, were to do what He did. Invest in others. Reach the planet by making disciples. Share with the lost through words and deeds and service to one another in his body. And his rule now is only seen when you obey and part of obedience is service and ministry to the local church. Uh, I I don't mean to be abrasive, but there's a lot of Christians that act more like a mole or a zit or a blemish on the body than they do a function or a part of the body of Christ. Don't be that. Don't be that. Be a muscle, a bone, an arm, an organ, a function in the body. Which leads us to point number three, in the instruction of your ministry. The so what. Let me just wrap this up briefly. Number one, when a life is Christ, then like Christ, service will flow from your lifestyle. Do you belong to Jesus Christ? If you do, and your affections are to Him, then you're going to want to do what he wants you to do. You're going, I don't know where to start. Then start handing out bulletins. Just serve somewhere. And as you serve, people are going to begin to acknowledge how you're to serve. And they'll begin to direct you. The body of Christ will begin to direct you as you step out. Don't, don't, don't take a test. Don't ask a whole bunch of people. Just start serving in a variety of ways. Because every Christian is unique. We don't all play the same position. We don't all have the same gift mix. We don't all have the same passions. Listen, if you're a leader, if you're gifted to lead, guess what? And you go, I really want to know if God made me a leader. I'll, I'll help you right now. Okay, here it is. Are you ready? Here it comes. Just look behind you. If there are people following you, I guarantee you you're a leader. If no one's back there, guess what? You're not a leader. It's that simple. Again, I shared with you before. If you have the gift of mercy, when you visit people in the hospital, they're going to go, Wow, I can't wait to get better. If you don't have the gift of mercy, they're going to go, Please don't come and visit me again. I want to live. <laughs> if you're a giver, give. If you're a server, serve. Or serve you're a teacher teach if you're a mercy merce <laughs> just start serving get involved and watch how god will guide you and direct you some of you Number three, God will remember your service in the church. You know, don't do what you do for others. Do what you do for Christ and do so in the body. And all gifts are meant for service within the body. Don't go for glory. Be an unsung hero. Hebrews 6.10 reminds you, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. God is going to remember what you did. God will know. God will acknowledge. God will reward. Number four, this is no time for quitting or delaying. If you're sick, you can pray. If you have four rugrats, you can still write letters and give phone calls and volunteer from time to time. If you're a senior, you can volunteer. If you have a 12-hour day and you, you, you can contact others on the phone you know while you're driving or whatever, serve on Sunday, write notes, stuff bulletins, take pictures, type at home, somehow you can be involved. And number five, don't merely be a hearer, be a doer. If God's a work in your heart, then you'll step up and you'll say, I'll do anything. You'll talk as an usher. You'll greet. You'll you'll call the administration. You'll join the children's ministry staff, the youth staff, the worship team, the children hosting setup. You say, Chris, I'll preach for Ken anytime. Um, Some of you are drying up. And you need to get in the game, get off the bench, stop observing, find your giftedness. And I guarantee you, you will find a source of joy that you have never known. I absolutely love what I do. It wasn't always the case. And there are times when I'm so tired, I, I, I just can't, I can hardly believe how weary I am. But my heart is full. Because I'm doing exactly what he wants me to do. And I would pray that for you. That, that's for every Christian. That's not just for pastors. That's for every Christian. And my prayer is that you will begin to understand somewhat of the joy and the mystery of the trinity as the persons of the trinity serve one another and and actually describe themselves as full of joy and happiness that's what we're to emulate The people ought to see that in our context people ought to want to join this church not just to attend here but to serve here because they see it so prevalent And they see what joy it brings to God's people. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word again. And we pray, Father, that you would change us and challenge us and cause us to be more and more again, not just reflecting your character, but your person. That we would be more and more relationally driven the way the three persons of the Trinity are in relationship. And Father, we pray that you'd be glorified. And if there's any here who don't know you, don't know that joy, don't know the thrill of service and seeing you work through them, cause them to be drawn to you, that they would submit to you. They would recognize what Jesus did on their behalf, that God became a man, died on the cross for their sins, rose from the dead, and that he is the only way of life and truth now and forever. And Father, for the rest of us, the way we step up, and find the way that you've created us, that the good works that you prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them, and that we would serve you in a way that would not only honor and glorify you and point to you, but that we would also experience great joy in that. And Father, we'll give you all the glory for what you'll do. Thank you again for this precious body. We pray that again you would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.